Let's talk JMMA with Charlie Jewett from sogo-kaku.com. This is a podcast about the deep end of Japanese combat sports scene. I'm your host, Shu Hirata from On the Road Management. Now, let's begin. Good morning, Charlie. Good, morning. good evening, Shu. How's it, how's it going over there? You're good. This is our 22nd episode of our, you know, mm. it's almost a year. It's been adding up. Yeah, so that's very good. And thank you for everyone for listening to our podcast. And mm-hmm. I think we should dive right into the Rising 33 additional cards. Yes. Which was good. last week at the press conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, let's see. Uh, can I? Let's see. Here we go. All right. So what was announced? Let's see. Yeah, we got um, Yachi, Souza, Mikuru, Hagiwara, Takeda, Shibisai, Hamasaki. Got a bunch of bunch of announcements. Right, and okay, the fight it surprised me. Surprised many people was Mikuru versus Saito. Yes. Yes. What do you think about that? Well, it's kind of interesting because people may may or may not be aware that. Mikuru did this Abima TV show uh-huh. where I believe he fought three people in a street fight. Right. And if they won, they were going to get like 10, I think it was $10,000 if they won. And I think it's more like a close to 100K. That's what it was. Okay. So I, I knew it was, yeah, was yeah, 100,000. So right. Yeah. <laughs> one, of, one of the guys he fought was like the disgraced brother of like an idol guy. Like he a went band. to the jail for like five, six years. Right. Yeah, but the report coming out of that event was that Mikuru had injured his knee. Mm-hmm. That he was like trying to make it like a real street fight, and so he injured his knee. And so there was a lot of concern that he wasn't going to be able to participate in Rising on New Year's right. Eve. Right. So, but when they now it seems like the whole stance is like, "I do what I want. Screw you guys. I'm fine. I'll be fighting on Rising anyway." Right. Right. He. I, I think one of the reporter asked him, "So what happened to your injury?" And he said, "What injury?" Right. Yeah. Exactly. Now, just to mention this, if you beat Mikuru Asakura, you will win almost 100K. This is a show created by Abema TV. And I think they supposedly did a lot of auditions and many big guys applied for it and they never got accepted. So they probably selected the guys that they want that he doesn't mind fighting, right? Well, I'm sure he had a say in it. I'm sure they showed yeah. in the auditions and like... And I'm hearing that this show has been criticized a lot in the Japanese media. That he basically beat up a three, I mean, two complete amateur plus one 44 years old ex fighter. Yeah. And, and it wasn't so called variety show. I guess he, I mean, I don't know if he really did 100%, but he basically beat him up. So there was even an article about the lawyer writing, see if it's illegal for Abema to set up the fights like that and blah, blah, blah. Well, I mean, it's always a bad look. It reminds me of um, like when George Foreman, after he lost Ali, he fought all those guys in one night in Montreal. Yeah, that's and true. The boxing establishment kind of made fun of him. It's like, this doesn't prove anything. You just beat up a bunch of has-beens or never-wers. And it seems like they're kind of taking the same approach with Mikuru here. Yeah. That what 
value is there in you beating up three people? I mean, I watched I watched the some of the videos. One of the guys they showed his training. Like that guy's clearly never trained before. <laughs> I think it was the well, guy that was part of the the band. Like the, the boy you, band. this was a pay per view show, right? So you actually pay to watch this? Yes. No, I didn't, I watched the like the lead up to it. Oh, I see, I see, right. But you, I didn't you actually, actually paid. Watch, I didn't actually watch the fights. Yeah. But I watched the lead up, and I was like, these guys. This guy's never like been to a gym before. No, exactly right. So yeah. it's almost like it, it's, I think that's basically what the med, some of the media who is being really critical about this whole program yeah, is but, saying that this is almost a criminal, you know, to to set up a fights like that. You know, because almost it, what was that show in the U.S. like Joe's versus Pros? You know, something like that, right? Yeah, really, they used to do stuff like this, but I think the difference was in those they would have like MMA matches as well. I remember, but it'd be like you have to out wrestle randy couture or something they wouldn't it wasn't like randy couture beating the crap out of you which i think was the difference <laughs> yeah exactly so i think at the, one of the criticisms they have is like babema has done a similar program before if you mm-hmm. beat asashori which is a sumo wrestler you win almost 100k if you beat tenshin nasukawa you win you know it, it was a big show but tenshin nasukawa's program they were wearing headgears but for right. this they weren't right none of them were wearing headgears and it was a full ones open finger gloves. So it, you know, it, it was kind of dangerous. Oh. It could be considered dangerous, is what the majority of the general fans are saying, I think, right? But mm-hmm. is it like, is Mikuru like a marketing genius? Because he's been trying to label himself as like this guy that came up off the streets as a street fighter, as a tough guy. Oh, I know, and right. Now he has the media reporting like, oh, he, he beat up all these guys in a street fight. He's too good. He's right. too good at fighting on the streets. Yeah, exactly. And, um, but again, what happened to Mikuru was I think a couple of days after that the pay-per-view show, he actually publicly apologized for doing such a show because he feels this was just a bully and sent a bad message to the kids, right? Because you're an athlete. You're not supposed to kind of beat up on those yeah. guys who has never been to the gym probably, right? Yeah, maybe it was just him yeah. trying out a new show and it, got really bad reaction but um right i think most of the negative reaction probably came because from from the rising fans at least from his reported injury oh yeah exactly like, are you getting injured right. in this not important like little game you're doing when you should be fighting and rising yeah exactly right that's that's from the rising fans point of view and i think for from the general media i think what happened was that there's a tabloid magazine called flash in japan mm-hmm. and they actually waited on outside Mikuru's mother's place and they kind of interviewed her and took a photo of her and she did take the interview she answered the questions and she did allow these people to take a photo so they run that article but Mikuru supposedly got pissed off and he openly stated that he's going to go after uh, that publisher legally <laughs> not so sure he, he can do that but I think maybe that's his he really did everything I don't know what he can do about it yeah, exactly. No, you can't do much about it because his mother starred in YouTube and stuff like too, you know? So he's not yeah, he's exactly a public person, you know? So do you think he's the kind of person that he's saying all this just to generate more attention for it? I, I, I honestly think so. I know I honestly think so because I think everything he said he does seems like it's all marketing. You know, yeah. because I even saw him and his lawyer actually calling Shibata. Mm-hmm. In YouTube, one of the YouTube videos sort of threatened to sue him for some kind right. of uh, 
what is it like defamation of a character or whatever that was but it's almost unbelievable they do that if it's true right because no no lawyer will do that publicly right <laughs> like i can understand like if a lot of situations where a lawyer might get involved but if she willingly gave the interview and like had her picture taken I don't see any legal action that you can take. No, there's nothing you could do. I mean, unless he's also friends. He's also friends with Shibatar. So that just makes just cooks of like home cooking to me of like a marketing scam. Yeah, exactly. So she was on the because YouTube channel. So so not much he could do. But so I really think it's his marketing. He's another executive marketing genius side of Mikuru. And on top of that, at the press conference, he even went out to mention uh, one of our clients, Ren Hiramoto. He say, "Where is he? Notice that here, and all kind of stuff." Yeah, well, my theory is that Mikudo wants to fight Ren Hidamoto before Ren Hidamoto gets better at MMA. Oh, I think so, right? Because he just wants to take him down and do what Hagiwara did. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's not going to happen that quick. You know, that should be the money fight. They should build up a little bit more. I mean, look at how long Takeru and Tenjin is being built up. I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but, you know. Well, the Takeru Tenjin one is weird because I feel like now that Saitama has sold all of its seats for the rising New Year's Eve show, Mm -hmm. I feel like now they're going to come out and give us, tell us whether it's happening or not, which to me makes me think it's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's less than a month. You know, how many weeks we got that we're looking at, right? So, well, everyone on Japanese Twitter is looking for anything to talk about that this fight is happening. Um, Takedo got a haircut, so they were like, this means the fight's happening. And then there was like some pictures taken where it looked like the rising photographer took the picture. And they were like, oh, the fight's happening. And so, you know, what's so why why do you think the fighter gets a new haircut? Does that mean the fight's happening? Because that's what the Uruka tweeted. He said, I'm going to dye my hair to blonde. And a lot yeah. of you know fans thought that okay, well, you want to get a fight in New Year's Eve, and I guess that's how they expect. Yeah, but I mean, I did see on Twitter some guy had a picture of Takeda doing an interview, mm-hmm. and the guy doing the interview was holding like a press jacket. Yeah, and inside of it was the picture that everyone was talking about, and it wasn't Tenshin; it was his opponent on it. Mm. So I don't think the ten sheet fight's going to happen because that picture looked kind of legitimate to me. Right, and Takeru did tweet it that he was going to. He's hopeful that he's he's able to tell the story sometime soon. Blah blah blah. But it doesn't mean that he's going to you know announce the fight. I think he's just going to have some another thing and we'll explain what happened and blah blah blah. Well, that's what I was kind of laughing at. Is everyone was like all over Takeru's kind of cryptic tweet about? Oh, I can't really say anything, but. I'll talk when I can, and hopefully I can fight by the end of the year. And I think some people are like, this means he's fighting tension at the end of the year. But in my mind, it's like, no, it means he's fighting He's fighting at the end of the year. That doesn't mean he's fighting tension at the end of the year. You know, what's so funny that I have to say this, I don't know why, but everybody's n- not blaming K1 in Japan about this because the way I look at it, even though he's a K1 champion, whatever that is, He's an individual professional athlete. And unless he signs some stupid long contract, he should right. be able to go and do this fight without like letting K1 negotiate with Rising. But this is a Japanese combat sports scene that, you know, once you're a champion for the promotions, they sort of control you. And and the main thing they're demanding is right now is like they need a neutral promotion to do this, right? Not K1, not right. Rising. 
So, I mean, this is not going to happen, right? Well, all you have to know, all that the most telling example to me is that when Tenshin did an interview at a rising event, mm -hmm. he made sure they removed all the rising logos from behind him. Right. Yeah, I remember that. Like, that just tells you all you need to know about the relationship. Oh, oh I know. And I really wonder, is K1 paying him some monthly salary? Yeah, like putting him on a real fat contract? I, I'm not really sure. You I know? hope so. For all I, he goes through, I hope they're paying him. But I, I sincerely hope so, you know? But anyway, so let's get back to this another uh, additional card issues that, uh, so when they announced Saito versus Mikuru Asakura, Clever Koike tweeted it and says, hey, I heard that you designated me as the opponent and I accept it. But why this the fight didn't happen? And everybody was saying, like, oh, you know, what's going on? You know, maybe Rising didn't want you to be on television. Sakakaba is mad and blah, blah, blah. But to me, this tweet is pretty odd, right? I mean, yeah. I would love to hear what his management have to say. <laughs> well, it seems like Koike has been running afoul of the promotion repeatedly. And even in the last Rising Confession, not the last, but one of the more recent ones, Sakakaba said, like, Maybe it's time to forgive Koike. Right. But I remember that. Right. Is it, do you think it's Koike or his management? It's like kind of pulling all these games. You know, what I'm hearing from other people, because I don't want to get involved, so I don't really go ahead and ask around, but I'm hearing that there's a problem with his management. Yeah. Meaning that probably the way they negotiate with the Rising. Also, at the same time, maybe that way they communicate with Clever. Maybe they're not really having a 100% understanding. Like, you know? Yeah, because it reminds me of, like, the whole Musayev thing. Mm -hmm. Like, Musayev's Twitter always, his manager always tweets crazy stuff on his Twitter. And now Koike seems to be kind of in a similar route. Right. And at least publicly, it looked like Rising was interested in having him on this card. Mm -hmm. Which makes me think that there must be some type of breakdown in negotiation. And that's why he's not fighting on this card? Probably, yeah. I mean... Exactly, because but the clever himself saying that after that tweet about you know him accepting uh, Mikuru fight, he also tweeted that oh, there's only me and you left with Shiku. What can we fight then? Kind of stuff. That's the, another most recent tweet he tweeted it. So it seems like clever, right? It seems like clever wants to fight. He's willing to do the deal and blah blah blah, and he keeps mentioning that in tweet. But why this is not is happening? This, is this like an ill attempted strategy? to get the fans to think that he wants to fight and that it's Rising's fault that he's not fighting as like part of a negotiation tactic? I mean, I don't know. Do you really think so? Because this is a big mystery for me. And you know, I think his management is the uh, promoter that promotes Nexus show, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So he's a promoter too. So he's not a pure 100% management. So I'm, I'm not really sure what he's thinking too. So... Just seems like ever since like around fall of this year, mm -hmm. a lot of like issues have arisen with him that never happened before. Right. <clears throat> I'm kind of curious about what's happening. Because there's the whole like I can't make weight, these alleged knee injury, but there's pictures of him playing soccer and stuff. Right. That, and, and I think one thing it's revealed for sure was a clever Koike's contract was just a one fight contract, right? So he had right. nothing yeah, nothing attached to it. But this is what really puzzles me because even the Musaif too, I think he tweeted it that his contract is over with Rising now. So right. he's mm -hmm. claiming he's a free agent. Now, most of the promotional contract, right? Most of the multi-fight deals, 
they got this thing for exclusive negotiation period, followed by mm-hmm. match period. Now, what point of this status of negotiate uh, the contract status do you call yourself free agent when you enter matching period hmm. or when you're done with the matching period so I, I i don't know about what musa knows about him in his contract because if he claims his matching period is over as of december then his last fight in the contract must have been over like almost a year ago <laughs> you know right. what i mean like nine months exactly. ago or whatever right so it puzzles me in the same sense that if the Clever's contract is a single fight contract, maybe he had nothing after that, no no matching period, none of that, you know? Well, my theory is that Koike had a one-fight contract, but then mm-hmm. in around fall, things for the coronavirus were looking quite good. Mm-hmm. All the numbers were going down. It was looking like people were going to be able to like leave Japan and do stuff. Mm-hmm. So my theory was that he thought he could go fight in the UFC or Bellator or something. And now that door is shut again. So now he's trying to get back into rising kind of. You know what, but honestly, I don't know. I, I never asked Sean, but do you yeah. think UFC would have signed Clever? Not at this point, no. I don't think so either. You know, like it's, it's a featherweight stacked and they have so much fighter coming out of, you know, contenders and looking for a fight and an alternate fighter. You know, it's not like KSW still interested in him, though. You know, that's one thing they released him, though, right? Even though he was their champion. And I heard, I'm not sure, I heard from some of the Polish medias and some people who's close to Polish MMA that the KSW thought his fight style was boring. Ah. Yeah, so, um, but I'm not sure, you know. But obviously, that, but here's the point is if he can't get to UFC, then second choice would be probably Bellator, right? Or even PFL. PFL, he probably could negotiate on his own, and they will probably take him. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's just a million bucks. Well, I know, and, and I know PFL is very interested in the Japanese market, so it only makes sense to take Clever, right? So I don't know if his management talked to PFL or not. But, you know, again, then his choice would be a Bellator, right? Another choice. Right. And it's kind of obvious that you have to be in good terms with the rising if you want to go to Bellator. Right, because I, mean, I think Scott Coker is going to value the relationship. Yeah. I mean, come on, more than one fighter. Right, so it makes zero sense for him to be in that term with uh, Rising. Right. Yeah. So I think the manager is doing something weird because, I mean, or and it's a mixture of quick because Satoshi's the same and he in the same group and he seems to be just fine. I know exactly. Is Satoshi managed by the same same guy. I don't know, but I mean, he's so close with Koike that you think they'd be in like this on the same page almost. I know. That's why that's another mystery for me, too, because I thought they were managed by the same person, you know? Mm-hmm. So. But they also seem quite different, like personality wise. So yeah. that's playing a factor in because Satoshi seems very content to stay in Ryzen and be a Ryzen champion, mm-hmm. where Koike seems to maybe want to go abroad. Right. And not only that, I think it's already a known fact that Clever has some of the uh, so-called street fight <laughs> legendary yeah. stories. And also he got into some trouble with the promoter. Guys like Mr. Saeki from Deep has all publicly said that the kid's a troublemaker, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's totally different, right? Mm-hmm. But again, obviously he wants to fight, seems like, you know? Yeah. It's too bad but that he's not getting fight. I think he's... I think he's trying to hold out for more money or something at this point. I don't know what he's doing, mm-hmm. but something's happening. 
Now, let me, now, good thing you mentioned money. The, another thing Mr. Sakakibara mentioned in this press conference was he was saying that, oh, you know, you guys had to stop doing these tweets in the middle of negotiations. It makes everything so hard. And he mentioned, I think it's about the Shibata and Koji, right? Negotiation. Right. I think Shibata totally blasted that. And he, in this YouTube video I saw that he actually even reviewed that, that how much he was being offered. It was two million yeah. yen first, but he was being able to negotiate it up to five million yen, which is about a little bit less than $50,000 US. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, when you really look at it, right? I mean, like UFC, you start from what, 12 and 12, 14, 14, whatever, right? right. If you win, that's 24, 28, whatever. So that's the Shibata is making way more money. Now, right. not to mention, I know many people's person rising. And when you hear Shibata is making 50 grand, I think more than half of the Japanese fighter get pissed off about that. <laughs> you know? So I think this is going to make Mr. Sakagibara's negotiation very difficult, I think. Yeah. Well, sorry. It's this weird thing where um, Shibatar, like, isn't really a fighter. He's more of like a YouTube personality. Yeah, exactly. His right. Last fight got so much attention. It's like you can't be mad that he's being paid more because he's not the same. And it's, unfortunately, right. you're not the same thing. Right. I mean, exactly. That's what actually Shibata even said. His value should be based on the TV rating that he scored for Rising on last New Year's Eve. For yeah, Rising, he's a huge, TV rating is very last year yeah. because he fought a legitimate kickboxer mm -hmm. and he could have been made to look like a fool. Right. And he actually put on a very entertaining bout that most people were talking about afterwards. And so I think this year he does deserve to get paid. But the question is how much? Right. I mean, the, here's what it is. My wild guess, right, because I haven't asked anybody, yet, but I'm pretty sure the Clever did not make 50K. Unless, yeah. You know what I mean? So if I were Clever, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the Clever feels like, oh, come on, you know, I beat the, one, the most popular guy in Rising. Why can't I get paid more? Right? Yeah. Well, if I was Rising, I would just point to the ratings. It's like the clearest telling. They know all the ratings for all of their... They even know the ratings per fight on Fuji mm -hmm. Television. Right, right. You know, Each fight. Right. Very high ratings. Yeah, exactly. And also pay-per-view, you know, sales and all kinds of stuff, right? They have all the record, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, man, yeah, so I think it's going to be very interesting. But so far, the fight, it was announced uh, for the New Year's Eve. Besides uh, Saito versus Plus, a, Plus, do you think that the New Year's Eve card needs a kind of freak show fight? No, of course. This is probably the best option they have. Right. And also maybe Bobby All again. And also you remember right, exactly. Miura, the soccer player's son, is making a debut. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's it's not really getting a, attention from the general media, but they think the general public will be interested in it. You know? Do you think Fuji Television would be interested in Bobby Olligan? I'm not really sure about that because I think out of like how many fights are they gonna do? Like twenty? Mm -hmm. And how many spots already filled? I mean, almost half, There's right? still like five or six fights left, I think. Right. So, and if they put Shibata in it, that one spot that you need for the entertainment factor is already filled. So do you really need second one, right? I mean, do you yeah, really exactly. need all going in there? Not sure. I think if I arise in, I really want to try to put in a guy who may want to promote for the next year. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean... I mean, I can tell you this right now, and a couple of my guys are still sort of waiting 
hoping to get fights in New Year's Eve. And I think they're going to make a decision in day or two, you know? So yeah. I think this is the last week. They're making a lot of very last-minute matchmaking. Well, I think that Sakaki Barra even commented that one of the matches that he's waiting for is Rena. Rena, right. Because, um, as everyone knows, Rena got a big cut over her eye mm-hmm. in the Miyu Yamamoto fight. And Sakaki Barra said that if it heals, she's going to be on the card. Then who she's going to fight? I think Oshima would be the only choice. I have a different theory, but oh. I will say before I say that, she's been training at Brave every day. Mm-hmm. Like she's like in, she's essentially in a fight camp, right? And it's just a matter of fact of whether or not like a doctor clears the eye to fight. Mm-hmm. But um, my theory is that if she fights, she'll fight Siwoo Park. Ah, uh, yeah, she's there, right? and she's staying. she's there. She's foreign. Mm-hmm. She's last fight was at 49 kilo mm-hmm. and she's a striker, probably the type of style that Rena would want to fight in her, in like a last minute matchup. And she has the connection to Ham Sohi and she's beaten Saudi Oshima in the past. So I think there's a way to build up Siwu Park. Plus mm-hmm. her name's kind of been in the media a lot this year. So that would be my guess on who the opponent would be. Okay. I, I, I interviewed Saudi Oshima last week. And I mean, I don't think she's training, and she's put on a couple pounds. So I think. Hey, she let me ask you this: Do you think, her. even though she just lost, you don't think the rematch against Kana Asakura will happen? Because you know that may be another. Because they have to think about ratings. Right. That would be that would be a big fight. But I think Kana Asakura might have injured her arm in uh, the Saudi Oshima fight. Also. I wouldn't do that because it risked beating Kana Asakura can't afford to lose again. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, I think she's, lose, she's lost two in a row, Ayaka Hamasaki and Saudi Oshima. I think you need to kind of give her a softball pitch to build her back up. Right. And, okay. And I think that Rena has proven consistently in the past, I think in 2015 and 16, her New Year's Eve fight was the highest rated fight on sure. the cards. Right. And her opponents were nobodies. <laughs> so I think Rena's proven that she can carry a fight by itself. Sure. People want to watch so it doesn't matter who her opponent is. Right. So, but I think Rena is probably going to have a couple more fights left in her belt. That's it, right? She's probably looking maybe two or three fights to retirement. Uh, she's been retiring for 10 years, Shu. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. She's even commented earlier that, recently that she's actually kind of pushing off on that. Oh, okay. And wanting to fight longer now. So I think as because whatever what seems to happen throughout her career is she'll do something new and then she'll like it. So she'll keep she'll want to keep doing it. And mm-hmm. she, she seems to be spending more and more time at Brave Gym working on her wrestling. That seems to kind of reinvigorated her interest in the sport. So but she still probably have to do want to get that win against Kana. And probably yes. do a super fight against Hamasaki if it's possible. Well, actually, in an interview, she actually said, this is an interview from like a year ago, she said she's not actually interested in the Kana Arsakura rematch, mm. that she's more interested in fighting and facing foreign talent. <laughs> and more recently, she's even said that she's interested in going to Bellator again. She wants to get that win back and get a win in Bellator. Which is why I kind of think she's maybe more interested in see like a fight like Siwoo Park 
that seems to check more boxes for her. You know, yeah, you know what? The Kanazakura makes sense because she is working at a wrestling gym a lot. Right. This though, but you know, it's so funny. I, the reason why I laugh is like I had to laugh when the Japanese fighter said, "I want to fight quote unquote foreign fighter." Yes. I mean, fuck. I mean, I'm sorry for the language, but they think if you beat somebody outside overseas, they think that's going to be a big appeal to like a UFC or the other promotion. Then it was okay. What about this Brazilian? There's like, oh, I was hoping Americans. And the same theory. <laughs> is, oh, what about this Korean? Oh, no, no, no. I was hoping Americans. So I think when she meant by quote-unquote foreign fighters, she did not mean Korean fighters, you know? Maybe, who knows? Um, yeah. But also, I mean, it's kind of the same beating this, beating a dead horse. Atom weight division is super dry right now in Japan. Yeah. I mean, and who's she going to fight? Are they going to dig up someone else? I mean, to make it yeah. interesting. Here's what is Japanese women's MMA right now. It's each division. Maybe they got two girls on the top. And that's it kind of stuff, right? So, so good thing you mentioned because one fight I'm really looking forward to the New Year's Eve besides the Bantamweight Grand Prix is Hamasaki versus Izao. Yes. Yeah. And Izao is a prospect, obviously, right? And uh, she could fight out. Is she she fought at one one oh five already? Because she was fighting one fifteen going down was supposed yeah, to go at one oh five. She fought at the forty nine kilo, the like one oh nine. Yeah, okay. The rising weight class. Right. So it's the super atom weight class basically. Yes. Right? So mm -hmm. that's another one of the opponent arena could fight in the future. Right? Yes. Yeah. But the Ayaka that's actually uh, that fight that was announced, the Ayaka Hamasaki Seika Aizawa is really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Because Despite winning her last two fights, it looks to me like Ayaka Hamasaki is slowing down. Um, yeah, she's not getting any younger. Right. Yeah. I think she's almost 40, if not 40. Mm -hmm. And she, her stamina looked suspect in the Kana Asakura fight to me. She tried to knock her out in the first round. And kind right, of yeah, she ran out of gas, right. So she yeah. didn't really think about the pacing, right. Okay. And then in the Emi Fujino fight, I think Emi Fujino's body was more compromised going in the fight than we're aware. But I don't know if Ayaka Hamasaki was like, quote unquote, nice to her friend and didn't like beat her up even more. But the interesting factor to me is Seika Izawa is younger mm -hmm. and is on paper a more decorated grappler. Oh, yeah, on paper, yeah. But Ayaka Hamasaki has clearly more experience. Oh, way more, right? In MMA. I think Ayaka Hamasaki is in some ways has an underrated striker. Like she's no. not like Mirko Krokop, but she has a very good hook and punches. I mean, she almost knocked out Jin Yu Frey. I think she would have knocked out Jin Yu Frey if the mm -hmm. ref didn't stop the fight because of the cut when right. she was fighting in Victor FC. So she's got some power in her hands. So it'll be interesting to see if she decides to strike with Seika. Or if she decides to engage her on the ground, because that was the interesting thing about the Kana Asakura fight was that Kana was able to get Ayaka down, which is only which is incredibly rare. Throughout Ayaka's career, we've almost never seen her off her back. So oh that'd be kind of interesting to see as well. Well, except when she fought Invicta. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. Actually, yes, you're right, and uh, I think, but I think it clearly as a striking department, Ayaka is much better. And you yes. know, she got the boxing coach before. I mean, after Carlos Paul, I mean, what was it? Was after uh, Claudia Gadella fight? Her striking yes. was improved. Uh, um, 
tremendously. So, yeah, but here's what it is. Uh, Izawa is also being criticized by some fans in Japan, saying it's too early to get Hamasaki fight. And she thinks she's already a big shot and blah, 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 kind of stuff. See, what I've heard is I don't think she wanted this fight. What mm -hmm. I've heard is that Sakaki Barra goes to the Deep Jewel shows. He was there this weekend. Mm -hmm. I think he saw Izawa fight, and he was like, we need her to fight in Ryzen. And the rumor I heard was that they actually wanted her to fight Kana Asakura a couple months ago. And she was like, I need another fight. I need more time to build up my skills. I mean, she's been training for less than two years. Right. And she was actually graduating grad school and stuff like that, too. So yeah, things are big for her, you know? I think she's been trying to put her foot on the brakes. And Rising was like, hey, we need we need bodies. We need someone to fight Aika Hamasaki. And there's not a lot of people left that she hasn't beat. Right. So, I mean, it was actually the obvious choice, the only choice, actually, they had. Yes. Yeah. It was very clear to me that when she fought Siwu Park, Mm -hmm. The winner of that fight was going to be fighting and rising next. <laughs> right. Now, but some of the criticism I'm hearing on the internet and stuff like that, it was that she barely won the last fight. So it's not like she's a rising level fighter. So what the hell is she doing there? And blah, blah, blah. You know? But again, Which I respond to uh, Nisei. Nisei fought on a rising card. Yeah, exactly. And right. Nika Izawa would murder her. So, I mean, <laughs> you can't criticize. I mean, if you're going to, you can't criticize her being on a rising card. When the fighters that fight on rising trigger, oh yeah, and exactly. undercard of rising cards also fight on rising cards. Right. So many guys. So all right. So now you mentioned about the girls. Let's. I wanted to ask you about this. You went to the Deep Jewels Thirty Five, right? This past yes, week. I did. Now, how good was Hanako Sawa? Um. I'll start out by saying, I mean, she had a black eye going into the fight, so she's obviously training hard. Mm -hmm. um, Physique-wise, she looks like an athlete. Okay. Like, you see some girls on some Deep Jewels cards, they look like they might be a waitress somewhere or something. They look like they aren't <laughs> training or anything. So she looks like an athlete, and her takedowns are really good. But she just started training. I think she told me she started training in March. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't have a whole year under her belt yet. Yep. And... It looked like she may have been nervous because it was her debut. Yeah. And so she kind of stuck to her bread and butter and just repeatedly took her opponent down. So she just relied on her wrestling skills. Right. Yeah. Now, she did land some good ground and pound at moments. Mm -hmm. And what I was actually more impressed with was as her opponent kind of got her in an arm bar and she got out of it. Was she on the top? So the opponent tried to... From the bottom. From the bottom. Okay. Yeah. I, I just remember that that's like Miyamoto's. Like, right, right. But she knew crack. how to defend herself, basically. Yeah. She knew how to defend herself from an arm bar, which Miyamoto lost so many of her earlier fights just to arm bars. So it was nice to see that. But when we spoke to the media, spoke to her afterwards, she mm -hmm. seemed very enthusiastic about MMA. Okay. And she's excited for the tournament next year. Right. And so I expect her just to get better because, I mean, she's only 22 years old. She's only been training for nine months, and she's a super high-level wrestler. Right. I mean, just for those listeners who doesn't know Hanako, Hanako is a 2016 World Cadet Freestyle World Champion at 56 kilograms. She also right. won the World Junior in 2018. Right? So she's she was very good at age 16 and 17. She was number one in the world. And now right. she's 22. Right. 
Although, oh, I have to mention, Taprazi has her birthday wrong. They listed her as a 29 years old. But she's yeah, when I, was looking at, when I was looking at her, when I was yeah. writing, when I was preparing for the event, I looked at mm-hmm. Tapology and said she's 29. And yeah. at first I was like, oh, okay. But then I like sat back and thought, like, this can't be right. No, she can't because, be 29 years yeah, old. She won the Cadet World Championship and when like 2018, right? So there's no right, way. Right. right. Yeah. So she's a 125, and, and Saiki is basically clear, 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 doing the flyweight tournament next year. For her. Probably just for her, right? Basically. Just promote my theory is that it's like a well, not just for her, because Deep has like Deep and Deep Jewels have like secretly put together a flyweight division mm-hmm. over the year. Oh. And they have fighters like Kate Lotus. Now, Kate Lotus isn't going to beat Hanukasawa, but Kate Lotus is very popular. Mm-hmm. And so putting her in a tournament is a smart move. They also have Shizuka Sugiyama, who's very popular. They have Aoi Kuriyama, who's very popular. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about these fighters that fight at Smokers Gym. But whenever they fight in Tokyo, the crowd, the fans all come from Osaka to watch him fight. And so he's got a lot of really popular flyweights. So it just makes sense for this tournament to happen. And Hanako Sawa is kind of like the black horse going into it. And if she continues to develop and learns how to strike, I think she'll be very dominant. Now, you just mentioned, how many girls you just mentioned? Uh, four. Four? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. You got Nabe, five, right? Yes, yes, yes. Now, if then I were then Nakai, would be the sweet spot. Zach, I was just gonna say, if I were Nakai's manager, I would have to ask, is there a spot available for her? Because yeah. if she goes into this tournament, this is gonna be an interesting one, and the winner should just yeah. fight for the rise in. Well, it's, it's one of those things where you kind of laugh, you go, Deep Jill's playing on a flyweight tournament, okay, but then you look at the actual names mm-hmm. and you're like, well, a lot of fighters on here are either very good or very popular. Right. So this is actually a pretty good tournament. Right, and some some of them fall for rising already, like Shizuka Sugiyama, right? So yes, exactly. Yeah, so I, I was surprised because Aoi Kuriyama had a lot of fans there. That's Smoker's Gym; those fans travel. You know, I'm telling you right now, it's yeah. I mean, that's the one reason why Kohei Hagiwara got a chance in Rising to begin with. You know, yeah. and same with the Koji's theory. All these guys, it's not because they're like the fighter who wins all the time, but for some reason, they're very good at the grassroots marketing and. Yeah. You know, and they all seem to be from Osaka, right? <laughs> I mean, did you even watch Kohei Hagiura's confession that stuff by Rising? Did you see what kind of car he was driving? Oh, yeah, he's oh. very, very. He was at the Deep Jewels event and uh-huh. he got swarmed by people, right? So, and and it all the, makes sense. Well, he's wearing and everything else, you could tell. Like, he's wearing. Oh, yeah, right? I mean, you can tell there's some big sponsor giving him a chunk of money. Well, it's smart because. I think some of the, the smarter fighters have realized that you shouldn't rely on rising to make your money. You mm-hmm. should use the platform to make your own money. Like a Sean O'Malley kind of stuff, right? Exactly. I mean, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But back to the Deep Jewels card, I, there's an interesting comment I want to kind of get your opinion on. Mm-hmm. So Miki Motono, the former strawweight champion who injured her knee earlier this year, she's back. Her knee's fine. She didn't have any tape on it. Mm-hmm. And she won like a pretty dominant... She kind of smashed her opponent. And after the event at the post-fight media conference, Saiki said, I think she should drop down to Adam weight. Uh, <laughs> there's just not any straw weights. She's got to drop down. Then she can go to Ryzen. And I know that you hate seeing these 52-kilo fighters dropping down to 48 and kind of pigeonholing themselves. So I'm kind of well, interested in your comment. Here's what it is. 
there there are no 115 girl in Japan. Yeah. I mean, and and that's the only reason why Mizuki is still Deep Jewel's champion. You know, like we wanted to relinquish that. Like, come on, take the belt back. But he, it's like he's like, no, you know, let's just let's just keep her in there right? because there's nobody he, there. Ian and Amanda Lucas will be champions forever. Right, exactly. Right, and same, that's the same theory for Josh Barnett for open weight division for Pancras. She's yeah. been champion for like 15 years, maybe. Right. I mean, so <laughs> I, I mean, and and the bottom line is this: on the rising, they only have a super atom or 125. Yes. Right, that's why they let Minata go to the UFC. They weren't going to promote 115. They were going to yeah. do 105 or 110 or 125 because they thought they could do the Sugiyama, Rinnekai, right? Kanawata Nabe and stuff, 125. And 105 got the Hamasaki right now. So just, they're just not really looking into 115 anymore. <laughs> right. That's, my issue with it, though, is I've always seen Rising is not really caring about divisions. Like, they'll bring a fighter over and test them out and if they're popular, they'll bring them back again. Sure, right. Kind of like the Panchan Rina stuff, which I actually do have a comment on Panchan Rina, but um, I just thought it was kind of interesting that he's like actively telling people because Miki, unlike uh, Seika Izawa at Strawweight, was like, oh, you you obviously don't cut weight. Like when we spoke to her, she walks around at like fifty three or fifty four kilo. I think she like walks around like fifty three kilo or something. So her going down to forty nine wasn't a problem. But Miki Matano looks kind of cut at fifty two. So that's asking for some serious changes. Well, you know what? Here's what it is. This is a big difference it's because it's a pandemic too, right? If this is not pandemic. You know, like, for example, Miki Motono, she's from Team AACC. And Abe-san from AACC, the founder, the head, he's really, like, more global thinking. He right. himself likes to go to, four, like, overseas. You know, do a lot of yeah, stuff. Straw weight is way easier to go overseas than Adam weight. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's my point. So... I know it's so funny. It's I'm not saying this is wrong, but many fighters, majority of fighters in Japan, thinks that they should be a champion in Japan first, then right. go to the overseas. You know, I think it's almost rude to even think about UFC if you're not even champion. You know, yes. <laughs> but when you really think about it, right? I mean, that's not the mentality for the American fighters. I mean, all these guys who fight for contenders when they got five, six fight pro fight, they're not champions. Who cares about being local champion? And they, if they get a chance to get into UFC, they want to jump into the UFC. In that, kind of, right? What's the point of going down at this point? I think a girl like Vinizawa or Motono should build up their bad physical strength yeah. to, to be able to compete in 115 so they can go yeah, to the When that contender series happens in China, mm-hmm. they should both be on that plane immediately trying to get on that contender series. Exactly. And not only that, because the UFC is doing London show, right? In March or something. And they're, they're trying to do more overseas shows. I, I'm not really sure what's going to happen, but obviously if they got the UFC Performance Institute in Shanghai, they're looking to do mm-hmm. Shanghai shows. You know, they want to probably go back to Singapore, Macau. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the yeah. shows that they would need the Japanese fighters as well. Right. So right. who knows? The, you know, so, they should be thinking about like a long-term plan as well. But yeah. for now, they can only see rising because they don't feel like they can travel anytime soon. Right. right. So, you know, then better to be more popular in Japan and score some good sponsorships. Yeah. Then go to the UFC because, like I told you, I think last time, I think the sponsorship we could get through rising fighters are really, really good, actually. So, yeah. 
you know, if they could scoop a pretty good sponsor for the next couple of years to who pays your monthly salary, you know, and that kind of stuff. And that will help them to do get ready for the UFC, you know, yeah, or, or whatever they want to go. You know? Well, kind of supporting what you're saying. I mean, if you want to be a UFC champion, wouldn't it be better to spend your athletic prime in the oh, UFC? Yeah, exactly. Like the, the history of Japanese fighters going there past their prime. And kind of getting smashed and embarrassed. I, know. I would rather see them there and learn that they're peak, and then they can kind of come back for a victory tour in Japan. I mean, I would say ninety-five percent of the Japanese fighters that went to sign with the Zufa signed like five years after their peak. You know what I mean? Like the only very handful went there when they're peaking. And yes, I think just the better that way. And the, the truth is that you could always be a rising or pancreas or deep or shoot champion after you went to UFC. You know, like, you know, so it's not like uh, you have to make sure to get that belt first before you go to UFC. So it's a different mentality, you know. But the pandemic has kind of thrown a wrench into that because oh, yeah, exactly. inability to leave, they kind of have to make hay while the sun shines. So that makes sense on why Izawa is in rising now. Mm -hmm. There's no other option for him. Right. I mean, there's no other options. And again, maybe I, I don't know about the contract, but maybe she didn't have to commit for such a long time. Yeah. Who knows, right? And and it, it's about, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think it's a good thing about deep jewels and deep with the rising is that fact that if Izawa loses to Hamasaki, deep will probably give her a fight immediately and put yeah. her back on the winning track. And she's what three and oh. now. She became three and one and four one. No big deal, right? It doesn't yeah. hurt her, her, you know. If she's fighting, she could go to contenders probably, you know. I mean, Mizuki Furuse got absolutely smashed by Kana Asakura. And deep has given her so many fights afterwards. Oh, no, exactly, right. Mm -hmm. Because they need a fighter. So there's a place for them to be more active, you know? So speaking of deep, what do you think about the news of Tencho leaving Shuto and hopping ship to deep? I actually knew about that for a while. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean. Is, this I, just, is Shuto just a sinking ship? Are the rats fleeing? Like, what's going on? You know, it's too bad because they were supposed to bring in more like overseas fighters, right? You know, to the VTJ and Shuto. And because of this new restriction, now they have to sit and wait. Yeah. So, yeah, right now, I mean, some many fighters feel, felt that they for fighting for Shuto VTJ, they get to fight some world-class talent, but it's not going to happen for a while. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. This is going to be a very difficult time for Shuto. Because, I mean, are those fighters now seeing, like, deep in Pancras, those are roads to rising. Mm -hmm. And if Shuto is kind of sitting on the sidelines, I'm going to go over there and fight while I can. Right. Most of the people feel that way. But, again, I can't go into really details, but some Shuto contract has this restriction. It's kind of hard yeah. to fight other promotions. You know, you kind of have to sit out, like, a year. Did you yeah. see the comment he made inside the cage? What did he say? He said that if you come to his restaurant and say, I'm a deep fan, you get a free Nomi Hodai, free all you can drink for the night. Which apparently was met with wild applause from the crowd. <laughs> you know what? But here's what I think so. Shuto, Pancras, Deep, they're like a LFA, CFFC, Titan in this country, right? In America. Mm -hmm. Nobody make a big fuzz about if you go and fight for CFFC and fight for Titan. It happens all the time. No big deal. That's the way I look at it. I think they should be. They like to make a big deal out of it in Japan, though. 
Yeah, but what's the, what's the big deal? I mean, it's not like they're making huge money, meaning it's not like promoters are putting a big investment on these fighters. I will say, I think the culture is changing, though, because what I noticed was, I remember like 10 years ago, if you were a fighter, you had to be gym affiliated and you like weren't allowed to train outside of your gym, essentially. It's like, oh, that's most, most of the time, not yeah. polite to train outside of your gym. Right. And now when you look at these events, it's like, oh, all these girls that train at AACC, they all train at carp. They all train at a jujitsu school too. Mm-hmm. They're all going to private boxing coaches. They're all going to Muay Thai coaches. Some of them are going to Brave for wrestling practice. Like it seems like the international kind of culture of having a home base, but going out to other gyms as well, is starting to take root in Japan. Because on deep and deep jewels too, I'm seeing more and more fighters that are like quote unquote free. Which means they yeah, aren't affiliated, right, right? So maybe the culture is changing. It is actually it's changing, and and it's changing. You know, there are many reasons why it changed, and one of the many reasons, and I see that as a problem, is this: fighters are more knowledgeable about modern training than coaches. Meaning, right. I see more fighters going to the overseas and expansion training in America. You see that almost none for coaches. So. Right. You don't, you know, if you're a fighter, you don't go up and tell your coaches you don't study enough. But the bottom line is, like, they kind of try to talk to coaches, like, hey, listen, I need to do this, I need to do that. I think fighters start to realize is that there's a limitation from the one coach in terms of what you can learn. Well, right, <laughs> and plus the Japanese technique was always kind of, the teaching technique was always kind of like, uh, just do it. Like, mm-hmm. the coach is just kind of watching. There's nobody coming in and specifically teaching techniques or drills. Yeah, exactly. So, Roxanne Modafferi detailed a lot about it when she moved to Las Vegas mm-hmm. and the giant kind of culture shock she had when she was at a very different, more efficient gym. It is actually they teach you technique more. They're more repetitious workout, right? Repetitions, repetitions. You know, like it basically teaches your body to how to move. But yeah. it's really different Japanese training. Yes. Of course, it's changing now. You know because. But it's changing because the fighter came here and see how people are training yes. here. They go back to Japan and, and they try to do the same thing. It's not the coaches who studies. You know? I also think another reason it's changing is as more money becomes available to the fighters through sponsorships mm-hmm. and through bigger paydays, a lot of them aren't required to work full-time jobs now. So yeah, fighters yeah, some some top fighters, right? They're full time now, right? Plus, in the past, I mean, it was like, oh, I go to work all day and I tr- I go to the gym at nine o'clock at night and I train for a couple hours. And now it's like, oh, on Tuesdays I go to this gym, I go to my personal trainer, and then I have another gym. And so it's starting to look a little bit more like its American counterpart, right. which is kind you know, of exciting. That sense, I still have to mention that girl like Hamasaki still got a full time job. So she oh, yeah. only works out once a day, right? At night, right? Well, I interviewed Saudi Oshima, and she only, when she got started before the Kanasa Curve Fund, she was only training two days a week. Right. So She has two kids, and she's married, and she's like, I don't have the time. I was only training two days a week. Mm. <laughs> I was like, well, you look very good for someone who trained only two days a week. Exactly. So, I mean, I think lots of fighters – like top fighters in Japan right now, as you mentioned, like you know, has a good sponsorship or making good money on the fight, so they're like being able to you know work out full time, which is a big advantage, right? Over the person who can only work out at night. Uh, so yeah, you yeah. mentioned um, 
you mentioned Ayaka it reminds me of like Mikuru and Emi Fujino who both have like jobs that are kind of like gifts from their sponsors <laughs> where it's like come work in our office because I mean the place Ayaka works is the guy that he sponsors so many fighters so many but they actually have to work. they're there 40 hours a week you know they're like yeah. a yeah, assisting and rehabilitations and all kinds of stuff you know so yeah so they work and and I'm pretty sure in the beginning Mikuru and Mimi had to work too but not not really right now, right? I mean, I still like the idea of like Mikuru and Emmy answering phones at a law office. Means that's that's not doing right now. I mean, he has no reason to do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so no, but exactly. So you know, and also you know what's so funny? I can tell you this right now. Like when I first began looking uh, fighters to the Japanese market back in like 1999 or 2000, mm -hmm. I got called into. I won't tell you names. Uh, group of uh, gym owners and managers. And I walked into this closed coffee shop in the middle of the night. They came, you know, they asked me to come here. Most of the chairs on the table, you know, it's all closed. All the back room, I walked in. They were like- A lot of guys missing pinkies. Yeah, yeah. And they, they basically say this, in Japan, it's like, a, in, it's like a political world. There's always a parties. So you have to belong to some party. So shoot, right. in Japan right now, there's a K1 or Pride. Are you going to book right. into K1 clan or pride clan? Where? You're going to have to make that decision. That's what they told me. You know, I never understood that idea because it seems like it seems counterproductive. Mm -hmm. Or if the promotions kind of work together, they could elevate the sport and themselves. Where if they battle against each other, they kind of risk destroying it. Yeah, exactly. But I think they make a big fuss about fighters leaving and go to the end of the promotion. It's like old tradition yeah. coming from the Japanese pro wrestling world. You know, like old days. I think Deep and Pancrase really don't feel as strongly about that anymore. Not anymore. Because I know Deep and Pancrase will have events where they'll have like a fighter from Pancrase fighting a fighter from Deep. And the mm -hmm. Pancrase fighter will like come out to the Pancrase theme song. Right. I mean, that's why because Kai will even be in the VTR. Yeah, exactly. And I. Sakai-san, who is the owner, president of Pancras, he's not coming from those old Japanese, you know, combat sports world. So he's businessman. So he's thinking different. And he's Saiki, more business savvy. Exactly. And Saiki's been around for a long time, and he understands what fighter needs. In the beginning, he was like that, but he had to change that to, yeah. to you know, cope with the what you know the industry is changing. The Shuto is the only promotion it's not really changing that much, and. Yeah. It's right to if anything they're anything that. they're doubling down, mm. they're being trying to be even more strict than they were. Oh yeah, I know. I mean I won't name names, but for example, I even suggested one of the top shooter fighters, when you go and train with Naoki, you know? And fighter wanted to, but his coach says no, we have to train within our network. I mean what's the point? You know? <laughs> you know? But there's something I wanted to talk about before this kind of transitioning. Um, so I was kind of interested to see that Panchan Reno wasn't part of the rising card. Is she and going to be? I mean, there's like six, seven fights left, right? On the spot. She right? has a fight scheduled for January in a different promotion. Oh, oh okay. So she's not fighting. Is she fighting for rise or knockout? Knockout. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Well, she's moving, she's moving up a division and fighting and knockout, which tells me several things. It tells me, Sakakibara wasn't that impressed with the numbers she brought in. Mm -hmm. 
because if he thought that she was going to be a big ratings draw, you yeah. better believe she would be on this card yeah. because this is the make it or break it. We need the best ratings possible. And so she must have not impressed them that much. And she must have gotten some note about how they want her to be bigger, like physically bigger because she's moving up in weight now. Cause I think they're kind of worried that for, I think they probably want her to go up to like 48 around 48. Right. Yeah. Instead of 44, mm -hmm. they're like, eh, it's a little too small. Maybe we'd like you to get a little bigger. That's my idea because mm -hmm. why else would you be moving up in weight? And you got to think that since Sakakibara was somewhat critical, she's going to be looking to try to knock her opponent out. And if she can't do that, I don't know if they'll bring her back. <laughs> you know, but I think they will still need a talent like that, you know? And I, I, I think one thing is like, if Sakakibara is probably wondering if he wants to even continue doing women's kickboxing. Right. Well, yeah, the bottom line is I think Pancha might have to do MMA. You know? The thing is because she did – the whole thing going into her fight was him saying, ah, this is just – general. I'm trying to see what the interest levels are like. Like he didn't seem super committed to women's kickboxing. He just wanted to give it a shot and see what the interest was like. Right. And the it numbers must not have been good enough for him to right. be okay. – But again, you know, she's only in one fight, so it's hard to build up anybody with right. one single fight. So we have to see, you know. My, but my, I'm just trying to, I think also it shows an interesting aspect of the rising rise dynamic mm -hmm. because she's kept, Panchan kept saying she wanted to fight Hinata Teriyama on New Year's Eve. Right. And rise said, no, no. Okay. Rise said, if you want to fight Hinata Teriyama, do it in rise. Uh -huh. I think also rising might've run into a roadblock that they kind of didn't expect and that Rise has been spending a lot of time building up the women's divisions, mm -hmm. and maybe they're not willing to share. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they have more talents too. And and for yeah. Sakibara, it's not a like a guarantee good rating. Who knows? Right, exactly. Maybe wasting that spot. So. so it's not like a hill worth dying on. So just let her go fight and knockout. And if she gets more popular, bring her back. Mm -hmm. But I maybe I would think maybe you'd see Panchan Rina on like a trigger or a landmark show again. Yeah, I think so because next year they're gonna add more shows, you know, obviously, yeah. and and I can do it right now. We don't have to wait till March or April to see the show. I think it, I think it's gonna happen in February. Yeah, and you know, considering the number of shows to you know rising trigger and a landmark, I would say maybe even twenty shows next year. Who knows? You know. Also, I also have this theory. My other thought is that they're expecting Rena to fight on the card. Mm -hmm. And if Rena's fighting on the card, they don't need Panchan Rena. No, not right now. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe they're going to, they want her to kind of go back down, develop her a little bit more, develop her in Rising Trigger, have her get some wins outside of Rising, and then bring her back if she kind of becomes a bigger star. That's true. Because for next year, the Sakagaba is already thinking what star he's going to have his left, right? Because yeah. what if both Asakuras lose in New Year's? <laughs> right, very I mean, possible. Very possible. Right, in a way, uh, and also, you know, Horiguchi just lost, which yes. made everything so different for the Japanese MMA. Right? It was like a day of national mourning. My <laughs> wife, I know. My wife screamed and then went to bed and like wasn't to be bothered for the rest of the day. Really? Yes. Yeah, it was like that. I know. There's so many fans are so devastated. I know that some people even called in sick. <laughs> 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 
But then there's the whole like, oh, there's a tournament in Horkuchi. He's going to redeem himself and beat Pettis in the tournament. Yeah, I said now this, they all want him to fight Pettis in Japan. I say this publicly more than a few times, but do you really think he should just go right into that tournament in March or April? This is his second knockout loss from the striking to the head. I will say um, it was a really bad knockout. Like his whole body went stiff. Like it wasn't like a TKO stoppage. He, yeah, out. he was out cold. He was carried out of the ring on a stretcher. Stretcher, right. And I know he's a somewhat older fighter, but after that kind of knockout, you almost want to see them take some more time off to get the head, allow their head time to recover. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I know boxing is different, right? Because boxing, you take constant hit to the head, right? In a boxing, yeah. if you get knocked out like that, I don't think you'll fight for maybe a couple of years. Not even train yeah. three months or even six months. Who knows, right? Yeah, because I think if in boxing... I wouldn't want to see them in the ring again for like a year, at least a year. Right. Yeah. After that okay. kind of knockout. MMA is different, but here, here's my theory though. Can you even name, even in the US history of UFC champions, can you even name a champion who got knocked out by strike to the head and still be able to come back and became a champion and stay champion for a long time, except GSP? Remember he- <laughs> that was the one example I was like thinking, and GSP was the only one I was latching right, on. Right, exactly. So it's not that it's really not that I wouldn't say I don't know if I should say this. It's not easy. It's 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 just safer to not do that right now. Oh. You know, I mean, how many people have had an immediate rematch and won in title fights? It's got to be an insanely low number, right? And but this is you talking about. I'm talking about tournament, right? Bellator coming up. Immediate rematch, I'm fine. Maybe like eight months later, later immediate rematch. But hey, it's a tournament. And let me see. I meant meant like him fighting him again in the opening round of the tournament, which Mm. seems to be what Japanese fans want. But um, yeah, I mean, you got to think about the damage. If I was him, I would definitely be consulting with a doctor. But um, because it was a bad knockout. It was much worse than the Kayasakura knockout. Oh, yeah, it was much worse, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Although he was winning majority of the fight on the scorecard, right? I mean, he was winning every round. Right. I mean, yeah. that's the problem, though. I mean, I feel like the Pettis brothers have done this time and time again. Where all They, they just need one second, and it's over. Mm-hmm. Well, but let me ask you this, though. When you look at the Horiguchi's performance, do you think he was the same two years ago? I think he looked like he was... I was trying to tell my wife it looked like he was slowing down. Yeah. And it looked like he was getting sloppy. Yeah, slowing and that's down. Why he got caught. Yeah, that too. And also even though he was able to take Sergio down, he wasn't he didn't land any strong pounding. One of his yeah. strengths was he able to do pretty good ground control and smash the opponent with that you know, strong poundings. But he wasn't able to do that. And uh I think I was a little bit more impressed with Sergio in a sense that even though he wasn't throwing many punches, he had the center of the cage almost throughout the fight, meaning he was pressuring. You know, he was making Horiguchi move. So it's interesting. You kind of have an interesting perspective because one of your fighters was in Sergio's corner. Oh yeah, he was there. Yeah, yeah. How did he feel about Mikuru's comment about him being a glorified mitt holder now? (laughs) He's a pad holder and whatever. Corner man. But here's what it is: if you have a chance to corner a fight like that, of course you'll go corner. That'd be a good experience for him. And 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 thank you to Sergio for mentioning him so much in the media more than once. That at this point in the hardcore 
North American MMA fans, he, Rem may be more popular or known than Mikuru. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, possible. Very possible. Right. So I, I think it's, it turned out to be a pretty good promotion for Rem. Yeah, exactly. Well. Yeah. And, and I think Sergio is such a nice guy, so is Duke Rufus, and they both want to corner Rem on his next fight. So if there's no problem for them traveling, I can tell you right now that they both are coming to corner Ren. So, so Ren is in Japan right now, but there's also yeah. talk of him moving to the U.S. soon, right? Yes, but here's what it is: as you know, that you have to get a visa to move, right? Permanent, right? And that will cost him about six thousand bucks, and probably like take about six months. So for the he's gonna go back one more time, but again with a tourist visa, which you only allow him to stay three months. Right. You know? So that's a fight camp. You know, he fights, he got money, you know, he, meanwhile, he's applying for the visa and blah, blah, blah. So in terms of permanently moved to States, it's probably like mid next year. You know, okay. the, the visa, then he doesn't have to go, go back and forth, back and forth. So will he be up in uh, Wisconsin? Yes, he'll be up in Wisconsin. He really likes the team, you know, Perfect. so, you know, I think, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's, I thought that Wisconsin is a little bit more a countryside compared to like Tokyo. But for, according to Ren, like Adachiku, where he lives, is really yep. a countryside of Tokyo. So I think Milwaukee is better. He says Milwaukee is a bigger city. So uh, I, I used to live in Adachiku, so yeah. I understand. Oh, you do? Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. The year before I moved there, they built the train. So I understand it being in the countryside. Uh, okay. And he said, you know, in Milwaukee, you could take a train about an hour to Chicago, too. So on the weekend, he can have a fun in Chicago and stuff like that. So that's a good place for him. But more than anything, I think the fact that Duke Rufus is an ex-K1 fighter, right, who teaches MMA. So we understand strikers, you know. Yeah. And, and they got a bunch of good bantamweight, featherweight, you know. And they're a good Probably team. Got, yeah. yeah. You got Ben Askren nearby teaching wrestling too, so. Well, I don't think of... all the time. But I think the bottom line is this. This is like a competitive team, like big team like ATT or like Sanford MMA. There's too many top fighters there. So if I sent I sent Ren, who's all in one in MMA, he won't get a proper treatment. Not he won't I don't get the attention that he deserves. Yeah, attention, right? And yeah. there are so many fighters they have to worry about. They have so many fighters they got a corner, right? So yeah, the place like Duke Rufus's gym, they're like more family type, and I yeah. think that, that it's great. And now I, I'm I, I'm so I'm gonna to try to make him way more active in that. I mean, Duke Rufus, Rufus is not a champion. Yeah. Right. Let me see if I have anything. So I don't think we missed anything. Oh, did you see that uh, Ushiku and Kume oh, both yeah, won? That's right. Okay, let's talk about Deep 105. Ushiku beat Koda, right? Kanda. Yes. We can just tell people. I mean, don't to get too deep into it, but thank God Ushiku won, or else Rising would look terrible. Oh, I know. Their champion went down to deep and lost, but he won. And Kume won at Pancras. Oh, yeah. I, I want to see him back and rise. Yeah, Yambo, right? And how did he look? I heard he took a knockdown. Yeah, but I mean, it was very. What I have? Uh, yeah, he yeah, took a knockdown. I'm sorry. There's so many fights that happen this weekend. Oh, I know. Yeah, I have to catch up on this deep and Pancras. I haven't been able to catch up on that because there's too many fights here. You know. But he, he got the submission, so he's still but, for as old as he is. I mean, what he's like 36 or something, he still looks pretty good, right? And, and that was the last 
Pankhurst show at the Studio Coast, right? That venue. No, Studio Coast has been shut down. Just super unfortunate because I love that venue. No, I heard that Pankhurst is going to make some official announcements of what they're going to do with the next year. Oh, they, they, they uh, already. Uh, yeah. I haven't heard anything yet. So, but I want you to know that at the Pankhurst show, Team Date was there in full force. <laughs> there was four, the, the men's side, there's four men from Team Date fighting on the card. And um, the one who joined Nori and Karen and Team Prav, however they pronounce that, mm -hmm. beat Yuki Kondo. Oh my God, Yuki Kondo's still fighting, huh? Yes, he beat Yuki Kondo. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, the two girls took a picture with Shinya Oki. And I just realized that that's the new Abima show that I need to watch is <laughs> Team Jade working with Shinyaoki. I'm telling you right now, yes, they should do a reality show about the Team Date. And I'm telling Yes. Yeah. And throw in Shinyaoki, who no one can understand what he's saying, and you have television gold. Shinya is, he's, you know, he has his own brand. I think Shinyaoki itself is a brand in the Japanese fight combat sports no. scene. Right? He knows what he's doing. Right. I mean, but, he, um, Ikuru is the two guy who is very good at self promoting, obviously. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And um, in some effect, Hagiwara, a lot of these in Koji, a lot of these Osaka guys are really good at it too. But yeah. so as Kintaro, right? they must have some like sets of right. supporters who is willing to really back him up and do all kinds of stuff for him and blah blah blah, you know. Yeah, but. I just wanted to drop in those two, like um, rising alumni slash champion Kume and Ushiku, both got big wins over the weekend. So, so they maybe should, we'll see them on a trigger or a landmark or a rising yeah, number. Should, I mean, Kume should get another shot, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. His last rising fight was so exciting. That's why I want to see him back up. Yeah, I mean, Takeda should beat Benoit. I mean, even though I like Benoit. I mean, is this the part where they're like, okay, Benoit, you've had your fun. Now's the time that we kill you. Right, right. And did you hear about that comment on press conference about how black is strong? What? Yeah, okay. Here's what the Takeda said. You know how you like to go to tanning salon? Oh, yeah. His, um, his profile on one of his social media accounts is like him essentially black. Exactly. He said, more black you're more strong you are, right? But the Benoit said, in that category, I beat you because I'm more black. <laughs> I that's, thought hilarious. It was, yeah, that's hilarious. Because you know? Benoit, I mean, is like a comedian, so. Yeah, I, know, I, I like Benoit. He's funny as hell, in a way, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and his last fight was super exciting. But, I mean, I can't see a way that Takeda just doesn't suplex the hell out of him. Oh, and he's going to take him down very easy. And, and over and over and over again, yeah, over and over, and I I don't think Beno can even stand up, right? I mean, once he gets taken down, that ground control yeah. is pretty tough. There's always the chance that he knocks him out when he's coming yeah, in, of course, but of course, right? I think Takeda is just going to take him to Suplex City. Yeah, that's going to be very interesting. He's going to do the cut it in lift too, like he yes. did for a chance, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. So anyway, so we covered everything today, yes. right? All right. So yep. we see you again in two weeks. Yes. Yeah, oh, that will be right before the New Year's Eve show. So this is going to be a big perfect. Have a little preview once all the fights are announced. All right, that's going to be great. Okay, yeah. so I'll see you in two weeks then. Yep. See you then. All right. See you later. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye.